Today we're going to continue our summer series entitled Red Letters, The Teachings of Jesus. In most Bibles in the New Testament, Jesus' teachings are in red. Our text today is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. If you're using the Bibles in the pew, it's on page 515. In this passage, Jesus is giving a wonderful invitation to the people of Israel. Listen to this amazing invitation Jesus gives. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your your presence here in our midst. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. It's infallible. It's without error. It has no failure in it. It's absolutely perfect. We thank you for it. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our helper, our comforter, our teacher, and I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, that you would speak, speak, I pray, to us today through your servant. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. To understand Jesus' invitation, it's important for us to understand that he was speaking to a people who were crushed beneath the weight of the Mosaic law. The most famous part of the Mosaic law or, or the law of Moses is the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments are just 10 of a total of 613 commandments given to the Old Testament people to obey. Can you imagine Obeying 613 commandments. Jesus is addressing those who identified themselves among the disciples, followers of Moses, and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. According to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17, the law was given by Moses. And because the Pharisees considered themselves the law's official interpreters, they promoted themselves as authorities in Israel over the people of Israel. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 2, we read that Jesus referred to the scribes, teachers of the law, and the Pharisees, interpreters of the law, as men who sit in Moses' seat, claiming the authority of Moses As interpreters and teachers of the law, they demanded that all in Israel who submitted to Moses also must submit to them and recognize themselves not only as disciples of Moses, but also disciples of the Pharisees. It's important for us to understand here this morning. When the law was imposed, It didn't bring liberty. It brought bondage. Rather than freedom, it brought oppression. Instead of a sense of release, it brought a sense of of guilt and failure. In this passage, Jesus is given a great invitation 
to the people of Israel who were weary, burdened, and weighed down with the legalism of the Pharisees, with religion's list of, of do's and don'ts. They codified, systematically arranged the Mosaic law into 365 prohibitions, the act of forbidding, and 250. 50 commandments, adding thousands, think about this, adding thousands of sub-commandments to them. And so there are literally thousands upon thousands of of commandments to obey as a way to, to get to God. If you want to get to God, you have to obey all these commandments. Not just the, the 613, but all the sub-commandments written by the Pharisees. What a heavy weight. If you were, if you were going to get to God, you have to obey all these commandments, all these sub-commandments. If you're going to be right with God, if you're going to receive God's blessing in life, they had to keep all 365 prohibitions and, and 250 commandments and, and sub-commandments. Impossible to keep. Would you agree with me here this morning? Impossible. No one here, I would not be able to keep all of them. I wouldn't be able to keep them all straight. I wouldn't know all the thousands of sub-commandments that were added. Impossible. The Pharisees, their system of do's and don'ts imposed heavy burdens. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus warned, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. The apostle Paul called it an administration of death. In church, we have to be careful that we don't do the same to one another. We can, and we do. And Jesus looked at a nation, a people under a heavy burden, a burden that the Pharisees made no effort to lift from the people. They were crushed beneath its load. In this backdrop, Jesus came to invite a weary and crushed people. Come to me, and I will give you rest. The people living under the Mosaic law were said to be yoked to Moses. The people were under the authority of the Pharisees were said to be yoked to the Pharisees. If you're taking notes here this morning, to be yoked means to be joined to, attached to. To be joined to, attached to. In in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 of our text, Jesus talked about a yoke exchange. It was in this setting that Jesus makes a very gracious, gracious invitation to all who want to experience the relief, the joy, and the blessing of his life through a grace, faith-filled relationship with him. Come to me. Jesus gives an invitation. Come to me. And that invitation is still being offered today. Come to me. You see, when Moses offered the children of Israel the law, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, Israel responded by saying in Exodus 19.8, we will do everything the Lord 
has said. The people voluntarily submitted themselves to the law and were yoked to the law of Moses. They were joined to the law of Moses. They were joined to the Mosaic law, attached to the Mosaic law of Moses. Years later, the Pharisees imposed authority over the nation of Israel and the nation voluntarily submitted their, to their authority as well, to the authority of the Pharisees. And so when Jesus came, he said to a oppressed, burdened, guilt-ridden, and defeated people, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. This is the same invitation Jesus gave to the first disciples in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He invites Simon and his brother Andrew, come, 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 follow me. Much later in Jesus' ministry, after he had completed the call of the original 12 disciples, Jesus stood and said, and we see this in our main scripture text in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come, come. It's a gracious, kind, gentle invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, come. Come to me. Isn't that beautiful, church? He was not calling them to a, to a system. He was not calling them to a religion. He was not calling them to the assemblies of God. He was not calling them to a tablet of stone. He was not calling them to traditions of men. Jesus was calling them to a person, to himself. Notice the reach of his invitation in our main scripture text. Come to me, all. Notice his reach. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All of us can identify with labor and being heavy laden. We can identify fallen, um, living in this fallen and broken world. We can relate to, to weariness, can't we, church? We live in a broken world. All oh, our world is falling to pieces. And all of Israel, and all of Israel, there could not be found one who had enjoyed rest in the law of Moses or in the religious system of the Pharisees. All were burdened. All were burdened. And so this invitation that, that Jesus graciously gives, come to me, all, all, all you who labor and are heavy laden, all were burdened, all were guilty according to the law. All were condemned according to the law. Christ opened the invitation to all. No one was excluded. The invitation is given to you. The invitation is given to me some 2,000 years later. What does coming to Jesus mean? When we read the context of this wonderful invitation, Jesus' invitation, come to me, becomes clear. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, we, we see as we read these scriptures, Jesus rebuked several cities and religious leaders that saw firsthand his incredible miracles. His miracles clearly demonstrated who he was and still... They refused to believe in him. 
When Jesus said, come to me, he was simply giving a gracious invitation to believe in him. Believe in who he says he is. Believe in his promises. Believe in his word, his inspired, infallible word. The word infallible means without error. There's no failure in God's word. God's word is perfect. God's word cannot fail. And so this invitation to believe, to believe in him, to believe in his promises, was graciously being offered to the people. And this is where our burdened souls are tested. If we're honest with ourselves, we, will we believe in Jesus? Will we trust him? Will we trust in his promises? Will we believe to the point where we voluntarily submit our lives to his authority? Will we believe to that depth, to that degree? Will we allow Jesus to govern our lives? You might think you govern your own life. Maybe you're here today and, and you're here and you think you are in control of your life, that you govern your own life. You are being deceived by the enemy. No one here governs their own life. There's a force greater than you that governs your life. Is that force the lordship of Jesus Christ? Or is that force the enemy of your soul? We have an enemy the Bible talks about. His name is Satan. He's after your soul. He's after my soul. You might think you govern your own life, but the truth is you are yoked. You're joined to a belief system. Is your belief system in Jesus Christ and the infallible word of God. You are yoked, joined to a belief system. If your belief system is not built on the infallible word of God, it is a faulty belief system. It controls the way you think. A faulty belief system controls the way you think. It controls and influences the things you value in life and the decisions you make. A faulty belief system leaves you burdened, leaves you feeling heavy, leaves you restless. Jesus promises rest in our text. He says, I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. What a wonderful promise. But how could Jesus give rest? Jesus offers an exchange the yoke of the Pharisees for another yoke. Jesus offers his yoke. Look at verse 29 of our text. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus offers a yoke exchange. He offers his yoke in place of the Pharisees' yoke. Take my yoke upon you. And now the question might be asked by someone here this morning. If I must wear a yoke, what difference does it really make, whether it be the yoke of the Pharisees or the yoke of Jesus? I mean, after all, a, a yoke it is a yoke. If Jesus promises us rest, why does he invite us to put on his yoke? Why is he inviting us to put on his yoke? Why? Is Jesus offering us rest or a work? A yoke is placed on an ox to do work. 
Is Jesus offering us rest or work? What is it? This is exactly the question Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus did not say to the weary and heavy burden, come to me and I will remove all yokes from you and give you rest. That's not what Jesus says at all. His invitation and the condition upon which people would experience the rest Jesus promises is found in taking his yoke upon you. His yoke upon you. Jesus offers a yoke exchange. The Pharisee's yoke that brought no rest for his yoke that promises true rest. How many here want true rest? Jesus uses a metaphor to convey a, a powerful kingdom truth. He uses a farming tool used in the first century to train animals. The yoke was commonly used as two oxen were yoked together, joined together to plow the field. It's a beautiful word picture. In Jesus' day, each yoke was custom made by a skilled carpenter for a specific team of oxen. I was thinking as a carpenter in the town of Nazareth, I'm sure Jesus Jesus' hands crafted several yokes for this very purpose. It's very possible that the yoke Jesus is referring to here is what they call a training yoke. A training yoke. The training yoke was designed for one huge ox and a tiny bullock. The, the ox towered over the little bullock and the purpose was to break the little bullock into the yoke and, and something something amazing here that we don't want to miss this little bullock is not pulling any of the weight he's not pulling any of the weight the large ox is pulling all the weight and this is powerful to to see and to understand and this is the yoke jesus invites us to put on he's doing the heavy lifting church jesus is doing the heavy lifting he's doing the work in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And his work, church, on the cross, not only addresses our sin problem, but his work also provides the supply of every other need we will ever have on this side of heaven, living in this fallen, broken, messed up world. In fact, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I love what the Apostle Paul penned to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, our salvation is not due to any work we've done. It's all based on the work Jesus has done on the cross. He's done the heavy lifting. He's done the heavy lifting. And I'm so grateful. True peace, church, is found. It's found resting in Christ's finished work on the cross for you and for me and the whole world. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. And that's why I truly believe that this was a training yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, the people had learned the burden that the law imposed, but Jesus invites them to unlearn all that they had learned from the Pharisees that was faulty, 
Let me teach you. Let me teach you, Jesus said. Let me teach you. Allow me to teach you. He said, for I am gentle, in verse 30, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the people had to decide whether they would continue as disciples of the Pharisees and and continue to be yoked to the Pharisees, to the Pharisees' teaching, or submit to Jesus Christ. They had to decide whether they would continue as, as disciples of the Pharisees, submit to their teaching, and remain restless, or whether they would become disciples of Jesus, learn from him about grace, faith, salvation, submit to his teaching, and live a restful life in Christ. They had to make that decision. They had to choose between the two yokes. You know, God always gives us two choices. He never gives us three. He always gives us two choices. We're either for him or against him. We either choose him or we reject him. You're either hot or cold. There's always two choices. Now, we live in the age of Baskin-Robbins, and so we like all these different flavors. But it doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. He always gives us two choices, two options. You're either for him or against him. What difference does it really make whether you are yoked to the Pharisees or if you're yoked to Jesus? What's the difference between the two? The Pharisees' yoke requires you to work for your own salvation, to earn God's favor, to receive his blessing upon your life. The Pharisees' yoke leaves you burdened, leaves you guilt-ridden, leaves you defeated, leaves you weary. How many enjoy being yoked to the Pharisees? The Pharisees' yoke requires you to do the work, while Jesus' yoke does the work. Again, Jesus does the heavy lifting. The Pharisees' yoke leaves you burdened, leaves you guilt-ridden, defeated, and weary because your work is never good enough. In fact, the Bible says our righteousness in comparison to the righteousness of Christ is as filthy rags. So our good enough is never good enough. Can you imagine just living under that burden, living under that crushing load? Jesus' yoke promises rest for the weary. Jesus does what is impossible for you and for me to do. He lived a perfect and sinless life. That's impossible That's impossible for any of us to do. The Bible says all have sinned. Like sheep, we've all strayed away. His invitation, come to me, expresses the desire and compassionate heart of our Savior. True rest is found in Christ, in Christ alone. We live in a tired world. We do. We're weary, aren't we, church? If we're honest with ourselves, we're weary. We're beaten up. We're exhausted. All these, everything that's happening. We live in an angry world, don't we? Everyone's angry. Boy, I have more people waving to me on the road than they've ever waved to me before. I just wave back. Hey, hey, how you doing? I don't know. They obviously know me. Hey, Pastor Pat. 
We live in an angry world, don't we, church? A world gripped with fear, the unknown. But for people of God, the future is not unknown. We have a sure future. We have a hope that's found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Can I hear a big amen, church? His invitation, come to me, expresses the desire and compassionate heart of our Savior. True rest, salvation is found in Christ alone, not some religious or church affiliation, but in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus' invitation says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. I is the first person singular personal pronoun, which reminds us that our need is the person of Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with him. Jesus removed the heavy burden from us. Amen? Amen? From us of working, of being perfect, to obtain our salvation, God's favor and blessing upon our lives. Jesus removed that heavy load, that heavy burden. What was impossible for us to do, Jesus removed it. He did the heavy lifting for us. I'm so grateful. That's why we sing and and praise him and and lift our hands in, in adoration. He's worthy, church. I'm not ashamed. We get excited about baseball and, and football, and, and, and soccer, about a lot of things, don't we, church? We ought to get excited about the one who has removed this heavy load, this heavy burden. We get excited about winning the Powerball. Mm, y'all quiet there, 650 million. Oh, if I win that, life is gonna be great. I'm going to have so much peace, so much security, so much hope. Nobody's thinking like that here. He removed our sin, church, our guilt, our failure by laboring on the cross. Jesus did the heavy lifting on the cross. He finished the work he was sent to do, and now he invites us to share in the reward of his work. And by the way, I'll receive your sin offering if you win. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's more people playing that game. Church, he finished the work he was sent to do, and now he invites us to share in the reward of his work, the promise of eternal life, true rest. When Jesus said, yoke with me, he was inviting us to walk with him. He was saying, let me be the, the lead ox of your life. Let me lead your life. Let me carry your load. How many have a load? You came into this building carrying a a heavy load. How many here, you have a load that you're carrying? Mm -hmm. How many? The psalmist declared, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he was declaring that his yoke was not based on law, religion, and, and rule keeping, but love, relationship. How many came in here today? You're carrying a heavy load. I have my baseball bag here with me today. Usually has my glove and my cleats and maybe a baseball bat. But how many came in here today carrying a heavy load? You're yoked to religious performance. 
What a heavy load religious performance is because you can never be good enough. How many, how many came in today carrying that heavy load of religious performance? Yoke to religious performance. And it's heavy. It's a heavy load because you can never be good enough. How many came into this place today yoked to failure? Carrying that, that, that heavy reality of, of failure in your own personal life. And it weighs you down. It weighs you down. It hinders you in your walk and, and, and relationship with Jesus Christ. It keeps you from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. How many here today? You walked into this building today yoked to bitterness. Boy, life is heavy. It weighs you down. You're weary. Yoked to bitterness. Yoked to religious performance. Yoked to personal failure. Maybe you came here today and you're yoked to guilt. You've come in here today yoked to guilt. A prisoner of your guilt. You find yourself breathing heavy every day. You feel like your heart's going to explode. You have no energy. You have no strength. You have no clarity of thought, mind. You're double-minded, unstable, confused. And maybe you came here today yoked to fear. Fear of what's happening all around us. Uncertain about the future, uncertain about your children's future. It's an angry world. It's a dangerous place to live. And you're gripped with fear. You're yoked. You've been joined together to fear. And it paralyzes you, cripples you. It weighs on you heavy. And you go through life every day. I got to get up. And I gotta do it again. And you're walking with this heavy load on your back, this heaviness in your heart. You're yoked to this, to religious performance. You're, you're yoked to guilt. You're, you're yoked to personal failure. You're yoked to fear. Jesus has come, church. He's come to take your backpack. And to take the heavy load off your back, Jesus came. Jesus came. Pastor Dan, would you put this on your back, please? And would you just make a cross? Thank you. Look at, look at Pastor Dan. Jesus came. Church, Jesus came. He came to take this heavy load that we carry religious performance and guilt and failure, fear, unforgiveness. And the list goes on and on and on. The things that weigh us down, that trouble us, that gives us that heavy feeling deep within. Jesus came over 2,000 years ago to take your backpack, to take my backpack and to put it on his back 
and to do the heavy lifting. And every day, as we live our lives in Jesus Christ, he carries that load for you and for me. He carried it over 2,000 years ago on his cross. Thank you, Pastor Dan. Are you yoked to Jesus? Have you voluntarily submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you willingly surrendered to his teaching? And Jesus extends a gracious invitation to you. He says, take my yoke and learn from me and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus promises rest for your souls. Last week I shared that the value of your soul is measured by the price paid for its redemption. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, the apostle Peter pens, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Wealth doesn't make life better, church. Winning the Powerball doesn't make life better, church. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, law-keeping doesn't make your life better. Doesn't lift the load, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Isn't that glorious, church? Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone does the heavy lifting and wants to remove the weight that you carry. The value of your soul is measured by God's concern for your soul. In 2 Peter 3, 9, God says he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Jesus asked the question in Mark 8, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, God sees your soul as the most valuable thing in the world, so valuable that he sent his son to the cross to suffer and die so that your soul may experience true rest, a rest found only in Jesus Christ. The value of your soul is measured by the devil's interest in you, in your soul. The devil is interested in you. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the devil, the thief, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's interested in you. He wants to destroy your soul. He wants to destroy your life. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is after your soul. Your soul is the part of you that has judgment. It makes decisions, moral decisions, what is good and what is bad. The devil attacks your mind with lies and accusations. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, the teaching, the strategies of Satan. The devil, he attacks your mind to make you ignorant of God's will, to make you impatient with God's will, to make you independent of God's will. Your soul also involves your will. Your, your will chooses or rejects things that are brought before it, like temptation Satan tempts you with, or like Jesus' gracious invitation to come to him and, and yoke with him and, and learn from him. Your soul is that part of you that has emotions like love and fear and, and guilt and, and joy and, and anger. It has memory. The capacity for storing up knowledge of ideas, things you've read, have listened to, and events you have experienced in the past, whether those events were, were good or bad, Satan uses them to paralyze you, to cripple you, to draw you away from the Father's will for your life, which is good and perfect. The soul also has appetites. The soul longs for God. Your soul longs for God. We just don't know it. 
Deep down inside every person's heart is a cry for something, but man doesn't quite know what it is. Man is a worshiping creature. I talked briefly about this last week. He was created to worship God, and so your soul and my soul longs for personal contact with God. And that's why our soul was created. Your soul is valuable because it is eternal. It is forever. It's going to live forever, either with God or with the devil. God always gives two choices, two options, never three, never lots of flavors, always two. And God desires that none, no soul would perish, but all would come to repentance and experience the rest Jesus offers in him. Would you join me standing here as we close this service in just a moment? Church, Jesus promises rest for your soul. Will you come? Will you come to Jesus? Will you yoke with him? And will you learn from Jesus? How many would say, Pastor, that bag with all those bricks, that's me. How many would be honest, that's me. Man, I just feel like I have the weight of the world. I have this heaviness. It doesn't go away 24-7. I can't shake it no matter what I do, no matter what I try to do. It's there. It doesn't go away. Because you can't make it go away on your own. Only Jesus can. And he's come. He's come to take your bag with all those bricks all those yokes he's come he's come to carry it to take it to free you that you might be able to experience the true rest that he promises you in a grace faith filled relationship with him. I'm going to ask Pastor Ken and Pastor Dan if, if you guys can get into the outside aisles. I'm going to ask my wife to join me. And Kathy, could you join your husband? And if Bonnie's here, if you can join Pastor Ken, if my wife can join me in the center aisle. As the worship team leads us in this chorus, maybe you're here today and you want pastoral prayer. You want us to agree with you in prayer here today before we close that this heaviness would be lifted. We invite you to come. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to, to Jesus Christ. We invite you to come. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to bless you with the Bible today. Come now. Come.